I want you to turn to Philippians and uh, chapter 4. We've talked a lot about this, so I, I don't want to belabor the point or go over it too much. But you guys, we've talked about the, the nasty prison that Paul was in when he wrote this letter, right? Yes. Most of you have been here at some point where I've described it. Uh, a sewer converted into a prison, one of Rome's worst prisons. A place where people died because of neglect, people died because of disease, and often those bodies were left for a while. A place where... Um, uh, there was little light. In fact, I mean, all the light was, was probably just torchlight and uh, no hope of, of seeing daylight for many of them. And, and even if you did, um, just, just great despair in that place. So it, it always seems odd to somebody who understands that when you open this letter and the, war, and the, the theme that pops up over and over again is joy and rejoicing. It would seem like the theme that should pop up would be endurance more than anything or patience or, you know, something like that. But instead, joy is the, is the theme. And, and it goes to show us that joy is not a, a result of circumstances. Joy is not, a, is not affected by outside factors. Joy is something that comes from, from, from the Spirit of God Himself. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And so this joy that we're talking about and this this, uh, this piece that we're talking about, because he talks about both in this letter. One of the other things that you see over and over again in the letter to the Philippians is a phrase, in Christ. In Christ comes up over and over again. He says, love, or in the Lord, love each other in the Lord. Do this in Christ. I rejoice in the Lord. All of these things, he's not telling you just to work it up. He's saying that your patience, your joy, your peace, your love, it's all through him. It's all done in him. It's all a product of your relationship with God. He says here in Philippians 4, in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's cool when the Apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret. And you know what? He tells you the secret right after. There's a lot of books right now that, you know, the secret to this or the key to that. And, and you have to buy the book and read to <laughs> like halfway through before you even get a hint of what that secret is. Because God forbid you learn the secret and don't buy the book, right? So keep it a secret for a bit. The Apostle Paul doesn't keep this a secret. It's right there in front of your nose. He says, here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's my secret. I had a great conversation with David McGrew the other day. We were, we were driving and we were talking about this verse, this chapter in particular. And he said something that stuck with me. He said, you know, I noticed that the more and more I read this, that the one secret that Paul had was that he learned to find Jesus wherever he he was wherever he was and whatever he was going through. He learned how to find Jesus. He learned how to look for, where, he learned how to, that, that was his anchor point. He learned how to say, where is Jesus? Where is Christ? And, and, and let me hold on to that. 
Because in every circumstance, in every situation, whatever's going on, he, I mean, Jesus is the, is the center, he's the goal, he's the prize. If you've got him, there's not a whole lot that can take that away from you. In fact, there's nothing that can take that away from you. So many times, we're just looking for the perfect day to come. I know so many people that'll say, well, I'll do that for the Lord when things settle down. You've lived here for how long? You know things won't settle down. Well, just wait until, you know, uh, just wait until things, you know, just get, I mean, I'm, I'm in a rough spot right now. Just, just wait until, uh, you, know, you know, things get a little bit better. I'm going to tell you right now, if that's what you're waiting for, it won't come. You don't need to wait to find him. You don't need to wait to be walking in his will. You don't need to wait to, to, to know his presence and the power of his resurrection in your life. You don't need to wait because, you know what, I'm telling you, you're not a slave to circumstance. You're not a slave to what's going on. You're not a slave to happenstance. You're not a slave to what's happening to you. And I know this has been something we've talked about over and over again, but it is foundational to the Christian life that you realize it doesn't matter what's going on out here. That matters to the Lord. We just read in Matthew 6 that the Father knows what you need and he cares about it. So it's not like he's sitting there just really apathetically going, Jared's foot's being chewed off, but I don't care. His heart's right. No, God cares. Thank God he's the healer. Thank God he's a deliverer. Thank God he is the one who rescues us. He's the one who pulls us out of the mud and puts us on a rock. He's the one who sets us, sets our, our feet on a solid place. We know that. He is the rescuer. The psalmist David said to God alone, our God is the God of deliverances, he said. And deliverances, is, it's plural. To him alone belongs salvation and escapes from death. What a great description of God. Remembering that David himself is yet another example of endless endless examples in the Bible of people that realized my life is not going to be affected by what's happening. My life is going to be centered and founded on who he is. And if I'm found in him, it doesn't matter what's happening. I will not, I mean, when we read this, I'll be content. That sounds soft, doesn't it? Be content just sounds like you're not freaking out too much. I've learned how to be content. Most of the time when you say I'm content, if somebody, if I were to say, how are you doing? And somebody said, I'm content. I would say, what's wrong? What's going on? (laughs) We don't use that word very positively, do we? Just be content. You know, that's something your mom says when you don't like the food she cooked be content. But I really think that what Paul is saying, he's not talking about just tolerating what's happening. Contentment, he's satisfied. He feels complete in these moments. He feels like, hey, you know what? There's nothing, there's not a thing I need. I'm completely happy right now. Maybe happy is the wrong word, but I'm completely satisfied. I'm completely full of joy. I'm, I'm complete. There's nothing I'm missing here. That's contentment. To say that this is, this is just, everything is right. And how many moments like, it, like that have you had in the past month? Just be honest and don't say it out loud, but just be honest in, because the only one who's going to hear is God. Be honest. How many, how many moments, how many days in the past month have you felt, I am fully content? Now, some of you, that's gonna, you're going to be able to say 29. Some of you, you might say um, none. 
Some of you, you might say, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's it, no day. I don't think that much like that. I just go through life. You could tell that this guy's thinking about it, and he probably has to because he's in a stinky, rotten, dirty prison. And for him to be content there and not be angry and not be ticked off at the people that didn't show up to help him, not be, not be mad at, at the fact that nobody showed up to visit him, not be upset that God hadn't broken his chains and, 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 and threw him out of the prison gates. Somehow he's fully content. And he said, it's worked out well that I've been here because I got a bunch of guards saved. I've got a bunch of guards saved. He said, he said most of Caesar's guys, they're born again now. The Praetorian Guard, they're believers now. He says, in fact, a bunch of these, these other preachers that were kind of cowardly, they, they were a little ashamed to get up and preach about Jesus. He said, they saw me go to this prison and be willing to go there, and all of a sudden they got boldness and began to preach loudly. So he's saying, this worked out well. He says, I've learned. I've learned the secret of not having a lot, and I've learned the secret of having a whole bunch. In any and every circumstance. Just think about that. Any and every circumstance. Do you think that you have gone or will go through anything that doesn't fit into that category? Any and every circumstance. Everything is, everything's contained in that. In any circumstance, do you know how to be content? In every circumstance, do you know how to say, I got it. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. Because the secret is, and he's, he's just going to lay it out for you. The secret is... I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. See, the problem, the problem with uh, when everything is just going nice for a bit, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying God wants you to, to have enough. God wants to, to heal you. God wants to do all these things, and he does. But sometimes the problem with, with this with a string of days where you just nothing's happened and, and you know, you're just coasting is that, you, you're doing just that. You're coasting. You know, he didn't just have to learn the secret to doing without. He had to leave the secret of having a lot. You ever thought about that part of it? Sometimes we, we, just, we just look at the sad part. Well, he had, he had to learn how to do without. He had to learn how to live with scarcity. But he also had to learn how to live with prosperity. Why? Because that same strength you need... <clears throat> That same grace you need, that same, that same hope in God you need back when, when things aren't going well is the same thing you need when things are going swimmingly, when they're going great. The worst thing you can do when you're going downhill is to turn your vehicle off and just coast because then you won't have the momentum, you won't have the energy to go back up the other side. If you'll learn to trust in God when things are well, then praise God, you'll know how to trust in God when things are rocky and when things are rough. Tracy Harris said this, he said, if your heart, sorry, he said, if your mouth will teach your heart faith in God when you don't need it, your heart will teach your mouth faith when you do need it. If I can trust God in the times where I feel like things are going well, I'll have trained myself to trust God in the times where things aren't going so hot. And the truth of the matter, when things are going well, 
Don't you know God? It's just as David said, God is a God who's put us on the offense. He's the one who said, come on, you're not just living reactively to the world. You're out there to go and, and expand my kingdom. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You guys know that nobody attacks another army with their gates. If the gates of hell aren't prevailing against you, it means you're attacking the gates of hell. You're on, you're, you're on the offensive. You're moving in that direction. So many times we use these, these moments where things seem to be settled down for once and we just use it to coast. But those are the times we need to trust in God the most. I've learned the secret of having little. I've learned the secret of having a lot. And the secret to all of those things is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Find Jesus, look for him. And in that moment of chaos, when your head's spinning and when things boom, 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 keep, keep hitting at the same time, and I don't know if, if you're like me, but if I get, I'll have days where I, I, nothing, I get no text messages, I get no emails. And you might think, that's very lonely. No, it's glorious. <laughs> now, I like text messages from you guys. You guys are friendly, you guys are nice. But I'm talking about where where there's not a problem that needs to be fixed right now. And in those times, you, you might be tempted just to say, oh, well, it's finally, <coughs> you don't say that. <laughs> finally, there's a break. Finally, there's a moment where I can just settle and relax. But what if you said, God, where are you right now? What would you have me do in this moment? I'm in a moment where there's nothing hitting me, but you know in those moments when everything is hitting you, the other side of the equation, the other problem is when everything's hitting you at the same time and everything's coming in like a flood at you, so many times we're trying so hard to stay afloat, we forget. Just like Peter, when he walked on the water, he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. Thank God he knew what to say. He said, Lord, save me. Mm-hmm. Now we get on to him which is hilarious to me. You get onto a guy who had the guts to suggest to Jesus that I walk on the water. We read that story and we forget. It wasn't Jesus' idea. It would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to totally prank Peter. (laughs) Go ahead, try it. (laughs) Who are you? you, What do you think you are? You could just walk on water. Of course not. But it was funny watching you fall in. (laughs) Peter says, Lord, if it's you... Like, I would say, Lord, if it's you, tell me something you and I only know. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Tell me to walk on the water. I don't even think of things like that. They don't enter my brain. I wish they did. They don't. He says, okay, come on. Peter begins to walk on the water. None of us in this room have a right to criticize Peter after this point. He walked on water. As funny as Peter can be, And as fun as it is for him to be the brunt of our jokes, the dude walked on water. What have you done lately? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Peter, he couldn't keep his eyes on Jesus. He looked at the wind and the waves. That's his problem. Yeah, yeah, that's his problem. We can learn from that. But chill out. The guy walked on water. He walks on water towards Jesus. And for a minute, he takes his eyes off Jesus. Notice that it was in his moment of success that he took his eyes off Jesus. He was walking. Finally, hey, I'm doing it. Then he looks and there's a moment of fear because the wind and the waves. You know, the fear comes from, there's no point where he says, Jesus, we're going to drown. He's not worried about Jesus. Why? 
He has full confidence in Jesus' ability to walk on water. Where's his lack of confidence? Can I keep walking? So he sees the storm, he sees the waves, and he takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to sink. But thank God he knew what to say, and this is what we all have to be able to say. Lord, save me. Thank God the cool thing about that is that Jesus was close enough to grab his hand. Right at that moment, it says immediately Jesus grabbed him. Immediately Jesus took hold of him. Immediately means that that's how close Jesus was. A lot of times we don't realize it, but that's how close he is all the time. The problem is, is that we get so overwhelmed by the wind and waves that we talk about the problem that's happening to us, or we moan about it, or we, we complain about it, or we write a country song about it. We're, we're in such a bad place that we forget, here's the solution. Lord, save me. We talked about the psalmist a few months ago who said, Saul, why are you so downcast? What's with this depression? Then he says this, hope now in God. That's your solution. Have you taken a breath long enough to look around and say, where's Jesus? Where's God? Because I can do this if he's with me. I can do this through his strength. If he's strengthening me, I can do anything. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want you to see something in Psalm 27. If we're talking about the Psalmist David, You ever read through Hebrews 11 and just marvel at the faith of those guys? Do you ever, I notice a reoccurring theme that their faith, of course, was not in what they could do. Their faith was fully in what God could do. But you see things like Abraham, and this is just a side thought while you're turning your pages. But you see things like Abraham says, by faith he didn't dwell in the cities of the wicked. He chose instead to live in tents. Because he was looking for a different land. He was looking for a a city whose builder is God, a city whose foundations are in a different place. He was looking for something else. We look around and we say, what's the best possible circumstance for me? The best possible circumstance is that I live in the penthouse in that city because that's a sweet place. God knows I can afford it. I got my own army. But instead, he'd rather live where God is. Moses is a prince. He's got a palace. Hebrews 11 goes on to say, by faith, Moses chose rather to live with the people and suffer with them than to live in a palace with the pleasures of sin. He'd rather live with the people of God because that's where God is. I'd much rather be where he is. Where he is, every place is amazing. Even the stupid prison that Paul finds himself in. Where he is, I can find strength. Where he is, I can find peace. Where he is, I found some joy. I don't know where it came from. You see that term in the Bible, joy, inexpressible, full of glory. Even in that chapter in Philippians 4, he says there's peace that passes your mind. In other words, your brain is screaming, you idiot, you should not be at peace right now. But there's a peace that God's giving you that goes past your mind. And these guys did great things for God. Amazing things because they trusted their father. And they trusted God and they found him. I'd rather make a fool of myself knowing he's with me. I'd rather be in a, in a shack in the middle of nowhere knowing he's with me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This conference I was at, you, you guys know Eve Bassett from Edmonton? 
Uh, she pastors a church in Edmonton. Wonderful lady. And she was, she was talking about praying in the Holy Spirit. It was, it was a powerful message because you know what? Sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the theory, in the doctrine of something, and that's important, that we forget that there are people in our midst that have walked it out. And you might learn something from them. So I love when some of the, some, some of the older folks, I'm not going to say who's older, but some of the people who've walked it through get up and tell their stories, and you see the goodness of God over and over again. She was talking about she got saved out of the Jesus movement. She was talking about how, uh, you know, they would just walk around praying in the Holy Spirit. And it was like God was with them wherever they went. And, and whatever he said, however crazy it was, they just did it. it. Talked about her friend who was going to a 7-Eleven. And the Lord says, go to a different 7-Eleven. Well, what would we say then? God, you're, this is the 7-Eleven I'm going to. That's too far away. It's just 7-Eleven. But she obeys the Lord. She goes to that 7-Eleven. Then the Lord says, and this is where it gets fun and crazy, go in the 7-Eleven and stand on your head. (laughs) Show of hands, who would do that? Today. I'm not talking about, you know, tomorrow when you build your faith up. I'm talking about today. Anybody here would do that? It's okay to, you know, not being proud. I honestly, I I asked myself that question. I said, no, I don't think I would have. I will do it now. If I hear the Lord say, stand on your head, now I'm going to do it. Because I just, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that if they can do it, I can do it. But the Lord says, go into that 7-Eleven and stand on your head. So here's what's going through your mind. I'm going to look like an idiot. I might get kicked out. And you've got to do a lot to get kicked out of a 7-Eleven. <laughs> right? You've got to do a lot. But if God's with me and if I'm in, in his will, what else matters? See, what am I looking for? Am I looking for a perfect situation where everybody thinks I'm great and things go smoothly? I get into the 7-Eleven, I get out because we don't want to spend a lot of time in 7-Eleven. I get in, I get out, I get my stuff, I go home. Now, God, you're sending me to a different 7-Eleven and you're telling me to stand on my head. She goes in and she does exactly that, crazy lady. This isn't Eve, this is a, a lady that was from her church gets in, stands on her head, and a man begins to weep. Begins to weep uncontrollably. He said, I said, God, if you're real, have someone come into this store and stand on their head. (laughs) We're robbing ourselves of the supernatural when we're looking for the easiest path through. When we're looking for the easiest way through, get in, get out, things go, Lord, make my day go smoothly. You're robbing yourself of some of God's greatest works. If we could say, as long as he's with me, I'll do anything. And I can do anything. In any and every circumstance, I know the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, who here has the, has the guts to go, I don't want you to do this after the service. I, I don't want five people to go and stand on their head at 7-Eleven. This was a, a special circumstance. But there's a level of trust there that I admire and that I want. Psalm 27. David says this. <laughs> We've gotten, we find ourselves in the section of Psalms that can be downright depressing. Stuff's happening to David, which is just not fair. Most of his songs that he's singing now, and remember, these are songs that the whole congregation has to sing. 
How would you feel if you were in the congregation? David's written another one of his bluesy, depressing songs. (laughs) About how his friends have betrayed him. His parents have forsaken him. Imagine you're out in the crowd and you're one of the people he's probably singing about. One thing that he always did is you start out in the beginning of that, whatever psalm it is, you start at the beginning and you can identify with the low place he's in. But if you stay on the ride, you find out by the end, he finds, he finds God. He finds hope again. In fact, I would encourage you, if you're in a position right now where you're going through something that's tough and you feel like people are against you and you feel like things are going, start with this. Just, just go through that journey. Identify with some of these psalms, but then don't stop. Read it through and watch how God is the deliverer, how he's the savior, how he's the rescuer, how he is the one who will take you from whatever circumstance you're in and place you where you need to be. In Psalm 27, he's talking about some really um, tough betrayal. And he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And he's asking that question because there's a lot of people that everybody would say, you need to be afraid of him. He says, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon, come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war would rise against me, in spite of this, I will be confident. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek. Now, let's just, before we read on, Let's remember what circumstance he's in. People are trying to kill him. People are betraying him. People want his life. They're after him. This is not a song where he's thinking, dreaming up a hypothetical. What if people were trying to kill me? People are trying to kill him. Now, what do you think the one thing he's going to ask from the Lord is? An asteroid smack their house? A really, really strong group of people to join who will guard his guard his dwelling place and, and be able to fight off a thousand men. What's he asking God for? He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, to meditate in his temple. See, in the midst of all this junk that's happening, here's the one thing he wants. I just want to know your presence. In the midst of people trying to kill him, here's one thing I'm asking. Can I just stay with you? Guys, I know that you read this and you think, well, to David, that was a, the temple was a literal place. But it was. I mean, there was the tabernacle that he, he set up again. But it, it wasn't about him just finding a physical place. It was about that secret place that he talks about in Psalm 91. A place in God where you know his presence and you know he's there and you feel his, his power towards you and you feel his love towards you and you know no matter what's happening, I know I'm safe in the shadow of his wing. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Don't hide your face from me. 
Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Don't abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. That sounds rough. But the Lord will take me up. I love this, that he says, I mean, because you can imagine when all this is going on, how you're so, you could easily be so distracted by all the people that are trying to kill you, all the people that are talking bad about you behind your back or to your face, all the stuff you're going through. And then he says, you know what? When I seek him, when I find that secret place in him, he'll lift me up, stick me on a rock, and my head will be above my adversaries. See, that's the problem is that half the time all we can see is our adversaries. In a day of trouble, in a day of chaos, in a day of stress, in a day of overdoing it, all you can see is the immediate stuff that's coming at you right there. But when we seek the Lord, what you begin to see is that he lifts you on a rock. And all of a sudden, you can see above all that stuff. And you see what he sees. You ever taken your kid to, to uh, whether it be a show or something that, that they'd like to see, and there's just a crowd of people, and your child is looking, but they can't see anything, what do you do? You put them on your shoulders, or you stick them up on a rock, literally on a rock, so that they can stand up there and see above the heads of everybody else. That perspective changes everything. Don't you know that's the perspective that Paul saw? When he's in that prison, all of a sudden he saw what God saw. And all of a sudden he wasn't just seeing the grime and the sewage and the the dirty stinking prisoners next to him. All of a sudden he sees beyond that. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I'm with him, I'm content. We have to stop looking for the perfect, perfect day. Because every day with him is better than the day before. Stop looking for circumstances to settle down and start looking for Jesus. Look to him who is your help. Look to him who is your deliverer. Look to him who is your salvation. I want you to remove from your vocabulary the phrase, well, when things get a little better, we'll do this. Remove it and just say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Where are you today? Where are you taking me today? I could be in the midst. I mean, I mean, I could be anywhere. And as long as you're with me, I'm content. I'm full. I'm satisfied. And guys, he's not just talking about putting up with something. He's not just talking about living with something that's torturous. He's saying, I genuinely feel joy right now. I'll tell you, as a pastor, it's so tempting to get up and act like you've got joy. But I've learned It's far better to say, God, I genuinely need your joy. And I know that joy comes from you. We come to churches and we put on our happy faces. And I I like your happy faces. But some people have gotten so good to put on a happy face, they forgot what it feels like to have joy. It's part of an act they put on. You can have joy no matter what's going on. And if you don't have joy, why don't you ask? There is a place in him where all that you need is found. You remember that moment where the disciples were in the boat with Jesus? He had just fed the 5,000 with a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, and he fed thousands of people, 5,000 men and their families. Then he went on and fed 4,000 men and their families. And he gets in the boat, and he's had a conversation 
with some Pharisees. Because I'll tell you, after every amazing meeting you have, you'll have somebody who comes up to pop your balloon. Pharisees come up and say, yeah, but show us a sign. You mean like feeding thousands of people? No, a sign. Okay, whatever. He gets in the boat and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. That word leaven triggers something in the disciples' brain. Leaven, bread. We forgot bread. And the funny thing is they're so worried about forgetting bread that they forgot what just happened right before then, how Jesus fed thousands of people with nothing, with barely anything. Now they're worried they don't have bread. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, don't you remember when I fed the 5,000? They say, yeah. He said, don't you remember when, you fed, when I fed the 4,000? They say, yeah. How many baskets do we have left over? And they told him. And he said, do you have a hardened heart? Don't you remember? Do you have a hardened heart? What happened to you? And here's the thing that I constantly think about because I've been in that boat where I'm worried about the bread I forgot and I, I forget that, that the most important thing is not whether or not I brought the bread on the boat, but whether or not the guy that can produce bread from nothing is with me. It's not about what's in the boat. It's about who's in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. This guy feeds 5,000 people with a small lunch basket. Don't worry about whether or not you forgot your bread. Think about the fact that you got the guy who makes bread come from nowhere. That's the guy you got in your boat. So much of our life is consumed with us saying, what do I have in my boat? Do I have my, a boat in my boat? Do I, I guess that would make it a ship. Do I have a boat? Do I have that RV? Do I have this? Do I have that? Forget about what you have in the boat. Who do you have in the boat? Because if he's in the boat, all of that other stuff. He's got it all. He'll take care of it. Oh, God, my work schedule's crazy. My kids are idiotic. and My, my church is less than what I need it to be. And, and I, quite frankly, my marriage isn't what it used to be. Okay, you're looking, where's the bread? You're saying, I forgot this, I forgot that. Would you take a minute and say, wait a minute, I've been so consumed with what I have in the boat or what I don't have in the boat, I forgot who I have in the boat. I have Jesus right next to me. I'm so consumed with the fact that there's a storm out there, we're all going to die, I forgot that the guy that's sleeping in the boat knows how to tell the storm to stop. I've been so consumed with wishing I could live in that city that I forgot I'm with the one who's building a whole different city that's going to last a lot longer than theirs. It's not about what's in the boat, it's about who's in the boat. Stop looking for your circumstances to change before you trust God. There's a contentment, there's a joy, there's a peace that comes only from finding him. And I want you to do this. I know that sometimes this seems pie in the sky and you say, well, where's the practical element? The practical element is this. Train your mind, train your heart to look for Jesus. Stop the complaining, stop the crying, stop the moaning for a minute. Take your eyes from the ground and turn them to the sky and say, Lord, where are you here? What are you saying right now? Because he's the good shepherd, isn't he? 
So many times as sheep, we're just wandering around freaking out because we don't know where we're going. But what do we listen for? We listen for the voice of the shepherd. I want you to remember that. Because the truth is, is that Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He didn't say, my sheep follow me because they know what my back looks like. He said, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. The thing you've got to do is stop long enough to hear something. You're going to be able to follow the, follow the shepherd, not because you're watching something, but because you're listening for something. So many times we're looking with our eyes, God, where's salvation going to come from? God, where's deliverance going to come from? God, where's your rescue coming from? When he's often telling you, just shut your eyes for a minute and listen for my voice. Because my voice will lead you through this valley. My voice will lead you out of this. And my voice will lead you to still waters, quiet pastures. And I will restore your soul. And you need to hear again. And I pray that for you this morning. Some of you are sitting here and your soul needs restoring. Some of you say, I, have, I, I got lost in the valley of the shadow of death and I, I forgot where I was. And all I've can, been thinking about is I hate this valley, I hate this valley, I hate this valley. Take a minute. Stop talking about how much you hate the valley and listen for that ever-present voice of the shepherd. And when we hear it, we follow it. When we hear it, we're comforted, aren't we? And there's people in your life that when you hear their voice, instant comfort comes, instant peace comes. How much more the voice of Jesus? And when we find him, he's the secret. He's the goal, he's the point, amen? Stand up with me. We're gonna pray with some of you today.